0: In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church family, would you take God's Word and join me once again in Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, if you were with us last Sunday, we looked at verses 14 to 19 of Ephesians 3 this morning. Uh, we want to sort of finish what we started last week in verses 20 and 21. So Ephesians chapter 3, Verses 20 and 21. And just as a reminder of the setting of Ephesians chapter 3, I remind you that Paul in Ephesians 3 is overwhelmed by God's grace. That grace that Pastor Matthew is just reminding us of that has come from God to us in Christ. Paul is overwhelmed by God's grace. He is overwhelmed in the overpowering grace of God that is greater than our sin and that saves His people. Paul is overrun with all of God's grace in Ephesians chapter 3 because God has chosen to make the Gentiles a part of His chosen people. And Paul is overwhelmed by grace because... He can't get over the fact that God's grace has come to him and has set him apart to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And church, just as a bit of an aside this morning, I I hope and pray that in the course of this coming year in the course of whatever's going on in your life, in the weeks and months to come, church, never get tired of God's grace. Just never get past it. Never get over it. Never stop being overwhelmed by God's grace to you. Never get bored with God's grace. Of hearing of God's grace. Of memorizing verses talking about God's grace. Because if you become bored with grace, you become bored with the very heart of the Gospel, which is God's grace to undeserving sinners. Grace is not merely that thing that gets us in. It is also that thing that sustains, that keeps, that preserves. So never, like Paul, never gets tired of God's grace. Chapter 3, you recall, it serves as Paul's prayer. as his desire for the Ephesians. Chapter 3, as Paul begins in chapter 1, he's so thankful and then he just is in awe of God's grace throughout much of chapter 3. And then as you come to the end of this chapter, Paul is going to conclude chapter 3 with one of the great and glorious benedictions in all of God's Word. A, a, A blessing unto God and unto the people. And on this last day, on this last Lord's Day of 2023, this passage for us today, in a way, it serves as a fitting benediction and blessing upon our own lives. But not only that, it also, this text before us, it compels us. It compels us to look forward. To look forward to a coming year. And to ask ourselves this question, how might I, how how might we as a church family live for the glory of God over the course of 2024? I think the text instructs us in how we might do that. Look down to verses 20 and 21 with me. Paul begins this benediction by saying, now to Him, now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. What a glorious benediction. A blessing unto God over His people. One that I would have us consider this morning as we seek going forward to live for God's glory. According to the text, how might we live For God's glory over these coming months together. A couple of ways for us here in the text. Number one in verse 20, the second in verse 21. First way that we can live for God's glory in these coming days is by having a firm reliance, not upon self, but a firm reliance on God's power. By having a firm reliance on God's power. Look in verse 20 again. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. Paul begins, now to Him, bringing all of His previous thoughts about God's grace, about God's grace in salvation, about God's grace to the Gentiles, about God's grace upon His own life and call to ministry, Paul now directs his heart, the heart of the Ephesians, our hearts now to Him. He begins this benediction by addressing the Father, Him, God, Who he previously referenced back in verse 14. As Paul concludes this prayer, we're reminded, as we were taught uh, weeks back in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9, we're reminded that all prayer is directed to God to the Father. But not only is Paul directing his prayer to the Father, but what is he also doing? He's directing the hearts of the Ephesians. Those who are receiving this letter from Him. He is directing their hearts. Directing our hearts to Him. To the Father. And in this, we're being reminded, church, right off the bat, that we are created. That we exist... For God. Why are we here? Why is there breath in our lungs? We exist for God, to live unto God. Romans chapter 11 and verse 36. Another great benediction from the Apostle Paul. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forevermore. Amen. At the very outset of the text, our hearts are being directed. Our minds are being captured. Our eyes are being focused upon not self, not what we can do, not what we have done, not what we might do in these coming days, but our hearts are being directed to whom? To Him, to God, to focus our attention, to set our gaze there now to him who is able to do who is it in verse 20 that is able to do paul says it's not us doesn't mean that we are completely ineffective in our days that we do or accomplish nothing but the great reminder here in verse 20 that it is god that it begins with god it is sustained by god it ends with god it is God who is able to do. Our hearts are being directed, beloved, to the understanding that our reliance is never to be on self, on me, on us, but it is to be on God. What have we already seen in the book of Ephesians? we have already seen so gloriously displayed that it is God and it is God alone who is able to save. Now, in the second half of Ephesians, it is God and God alone who is at work within us producing this ongoing fruit of sanctification in us. Now, to Him who is able to do. We, in and of ourselves, beloved, simply are not able. And so then, it is a fool's errand. It is folly to try and rely on self to accomplish anything. Church, I would remind us this morning that almost every problem that you face it comes as a result of either you or someone else trusting in self instead of God. And verse 20 then is reminding us, hey, take your eyes off of self and look to Him who is able to do. Why, church, would we ever want? Why would we ever feel the need to rely on self When it is God alone who is God. When it is God alone who is in complete sovereign control. When it is God alone who is powerful, wise, good, and holy. We have no need even to look to self. And so as we're reminded of who God is, now to Him who is able. Well, what is God able to do? In verse 20, as our hearts are directed there, as we begin to feel this longing within our souls being awakened not to rely on self but to rely on God, what is it in verse 20 that God is able to do? Far more abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think. That's what God is able to do. That's what God, beloved, is doing. Look at the text with me again. Some of your Bibles might translate that there in verse 20 as exceedingly abundantly. So whether it reads far more abundantly or exceedingly abundantly, the meaning is that God from all of His vast, eternal storehouses of character and resources that God is able to accomplish an overabundance, a superabundance in you, in us, that church, it goes way far beyond anything that we could ever ask or think. Church, we are finite. God is infinite. Our, the reality of our lives is that we have limitations. God has no limits. We have limitations to what we can ask. To what we can think about. To what we can think to ask. God is not bound by any such limitations. Our questions that we do ask. Our thoughts that we do think. They are so often tainted by sin. Our very motives for asking or for thinking are so often tainted by sin, but God is entirely holy. God is entirely clean. He is entirely pure. And in no way is there a stunting effect of sin upon what God can do. And so then, now to Him, we direct our lives. To Him, we direct our thoughts. To Him. Because He is able to do with a superabundance. Overflowing. An artesian well that just does not stop pouring forth the work of God in our lives. Think about all the people in Scripture. Think about the examples that we have in Scripture of those who saw God do exceedingly, abundantly beyond all that they could ask or think. God comes to Abraham. And he says what to him? I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. And in you, all the nations, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. Can you imagine being Abraham? Trying to wrap your brain around how is it that through me, when I don't even have any children, how is it through me that all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed? And yet, from Abraham would come the Christ who would save His people, the nations, from their sin. Think about Moses. Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt and I want you to go and tell Pharaoh, hey, the Lord has said, Pharaoh, let My people go. And in so doing, God does exceedingly abundantly more beyond what Moses could ask or think. Moses has a lot of questions. Uh, God, who do I tell them sent me? What name am I supposed to give them when they ask me on whose authority do I come and say these things? And plague after plague after plague comes destruction after destruction until finally Pharaoh relents in God's people or let go, to go to the land of milk and honey that He had given them. Or David. God comes to David and promises, I'm going to give you an eternal and everlasting kingdom. Can you imagine being David? Knowing how finite you are. Knowing how limited you are. Trying to wrap your brains around how is God going to do this? How's He going to grant a kingdom with no end? The God who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think sends from David's line the Savior who is Christ the Lord. Why would we ever want to rely on self? when time and time again in scripture and church just as a reminder time and time again in your lives god does exceedingly abundantly beyond all that you could ask or think how does god do this in verse 20 how does god do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think what does the end of verse 20 say according to the power that works Within us. This is how God does exceedingly abundantly beyond more than all that we ask or think, according to his power that works within us. What is then this power? Paul has already referenced this power earlier in Ephesians. Turn back to chapter 1, just a page or so back in your Bibles. Here's Paul's wish for the Ephesians at this point in the epistle chapter 1, look down to verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you will know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might, which He brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places paul says in verse 20 that that power that he's already mentioned back in chapter 1 that it is that same power that works within us it is the same power that raised jesus from the dead that is also now at work within the lives and the hearts of the people of God. How does this power then come to dwell within us? It comes one way and one way only. And that is through the indwelling presence of God's Spirit that comes to live in the heart of every believer. It happens at the very moment of conversion. Uh, There is not conversion and then a month or two, year or two later, some extra other added baptism of the Holy Spirit that comes along as some denominations may teach. No, the very power and the very presence of God comes to indwell the heart and the life of every believer at the point where they trust by faith in Christ. And so then, as a believer, the very power of God that raises Jesus from the dead has now come into your life, has raised you from the dead, and is now at work within you. How does this power then work within us? Well, God's power works by saving through the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, which Paul said in Romans 1.16 is what? It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. How does this power work within us? It works within us by not only saving us, but keeping us saved. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, speaking about those who have a living hope in Christ, Peter writes that we are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. God doesn't save you and then leave you on your own to keep yourself saved. God keeps, God keeps you safe. Sealed and saved by the power of God of His Spirit. How else does this power work within us? It works in us by helping us kill our sin and be more like Jesus. You remember what Paul said to the Philippians. Chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. He calls them to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. How then, do we practically, maybe just to say it this way, how do we practically activate this power? How do we tap in to this? How do we plug in? Well, number one, you must believe by faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone for your salvation. There will be no resurrection power. There will be no power to help you uh, overcome sin. There will be no power to keep you saved if you are not yet first born again in Christ. And so, on this day, it is incumbent that every single person in the room knows the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. It is incumbent upon every person in this room that you stop trying to get to heaven on your own. That you stop trying to make yourself right with God on your own. And that you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. You practically activate this power as you commune with God in His Word. If you want God's power at work within you, beloved, then immerse yourself in His Word. Your level of operating in God's power will never rise higher than your level of Bible intake. No Word. No power. You'll you'll cruise along for a little while. For a few weeks. Maybe a few months. You'll be able to cruise along on maybe some of what you've taken in in previous weeks or months. Maybe even by your own power. You'll be able to kind of kind of make it. But eventually, that's going to run out. We're finite. We're limited. God is not. His Word is not. And so then, we practically activate, if you will, the power of God in us. The work of God's Spirit in us by communion with God in His Word. Also, by communion with God in prayer. Beloved, when we do not pray, we rob ourselves of the very source of power to live for God's glory, to mortify our own sin and fleshly desires, we rob ourselves of the ability to be pleasing to God, to be useful to the Lord. And so we must pray. Finally, I would say this to us that we practically activate this power by plugging into the life of the local church. You're not designed, you're not meant to do this by yourself. Nobody is. From the pulpit to the pew, there is not a single person in the room that has arrived at this place where they don't need the power that comes through the conduit of God's people in the local church. And so, plug in. Don't just casually attend Intimately belong, come early, stay late, do Bible studies, serve, go to lunch, have people in your home. The heat of the fire does you no good if the fire is 100 yards away. It might be there and it might be burning. But it's not doing you any good if it's a hundred yards away. You gotta get close. You gotta get close to be warmed by it. You gotta get close through the word, through prayer, through God's people. If we want to activate, if you will, this power of God that is at work in us, if you want. 2024 to be different. If you want to live for God's glory, then don't rely on yourself. Rely on Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that you ask or think, not according to your finite power, but according to His Holy Spirit resurrection power that is at work within you. Beloved, I implore you, do not lean on your own understanding. And then secondly, in verse 21, how do we live for God's glory in these coming months together? By having a fervent pursuit of God's glory. Not not merely just saying that we want to live for God's glory, that we're going to live for God's glory, that it's a good idea to live for God's glory, but by having within us Individually and corporately, a fervent pursuit of God's glory. Look in verse 21. To Him, again, directing our hearts, our minds away from self. Now to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. To Him be the glory. That word glory in this sense as it's being used in verse 21, it has to do with the recognition that rightly belongs to someone. The recognition that they are in a place of deserving honor and blessing and praise. What does it mean then that God gets the glory, or uh, Paul's language in verse 21, to Him be the glory. It means that God gets the praise. It means that God alone gets the blessing. That God alone receives the honor. That God alone is recognized. The glory belongs to God and God alone. We do not seek it for ourselves. We do not seek our own name. We do not seek our own fame. We do not seek our own reputation. We seek the name, the fame, the reputation of a great and holy and mighty God. That's why we exist. If that then be true, Then the cry of the psalmist in Psalm 115 and verse 1 must then become true of our lives. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory. Where is God to be given the glory in verse 21? Number one, in the church. To him be the glory in the church. Beloved, don't expect the world to do it. Don't expect the world to glorify God. Don't be shocked and surprised when they don't. But in the church, in the called out, gathered ones, oh beloved, let it be the place where God gets the glory. Where God receives the praise. Because the church, the bride, the body, of the Lord Jesus Christ, we exist for one reason. We do ministry for one reason. We sing for one reason. We preach for one reason. We give for one reason. We serve for one reason. We fellowship together for one reason. We teach and everything that we do for one reason. Everything else is secondary. And that one reason is for God's great glory. So that people, so that we would bring God honor and praise. So that God would be lifted up. And if they don't even know our names, but they see the glory of God in the face of Christ, then that's what it looks like. And with that, we are okay. Everything the church does, From Sunday mornings, to Sunday nights, to Wednesday nights, to mission trips, to conversations, everything is to bring glory to God. To glorify God. To display His glory. And it is incumbent upon every church, every pastor, every person in the pew to ask and answer the question, why do we exist as the church? Why are we here? Why do we do what you do? And by the way, how you answer that question will then necessarily dictate how you function as a church. And if the great end of our existence, of our ministry, of our preaching, is to bring glory to God, then what will that begin to look like among us? We will speak of God. We will declare God, as He is revealed in Scripture, not as how maybe we would want Him to be. We reveal God's character. We reveal God's ways. We reveal God's Word. We preach what is true, even if the world receives it not. We say nothing more and we say nothing less than what has been revealed by God in the Word of God we bring glory to God in the church by worshiping God as is prescribed in scripture if you were one of our men studying through first and second kings last semester then time and time and time again what are we reminded in those books that God really cares about how we worship him And that judgment comes. Discipline comes. Punishment comes. When we don't tear down the high places, right? When we don't do it exactly like God tells us to do. And so church, we give God glory in the church by worshiping Him as is prescribed in Scripture. Remember the kind of worshiper that Jesus is seeking, that the Father is seeking in John 4.23? Those who worship in spirit and in truth. Those who approach God with all of their affections, alert to who He is. Preventing stale, cold, meaningless worship. Those who worship God in truth by preaching the Word, reading the Word, singing the Word, praying the Word, having fellowship centered around the Word, giving for the spread of the Word every single thing that we do, proclaiming the glory of God in His Word. Then he says secondly in verse 21, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. Beloved, God's glory is revealed to us in Christ Jesus. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld what? We beheld His glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father. Full of grace. And full of truth. If We want people to know and pursue the glory of God. The greatness of God. The worth and worthiness of God. We must give them Christ. Jesus turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Don't miss this. Start in verse 5 with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the One who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God where? In whom? In the face of Christ. You want to pursue God's glory? You want those around you to know the glory of God? Of God, give them Jesus. Give them Jesus. Give your children Jesus. Give your husband, your wife, Jesus. Give your Sunday school class, your Wednesday night group, your Bible study, your neighbor, your coworker, your schoolmate, give them Christ. And until you give them Christ, They will not know the glory of God. They will not see the glory of God. They will not care about the glory of God. They will not pursue the glory of God. One commentator said this, that in the church, which is the body of Christ, and in Christ Jesus, who is the head of the church, let God be glorified. How does verse 21 end? To all generations forever and ever. Certainly to all the generations that exist in this body, but also to all the generations who will come after us. We don't just do ministry today for today. We do it also for tomorrow. Why do we teach them the Gospel when they're young? So that when they're old, they won't depart from it. And so that they'll set up those stones of remembrance. And they'll teach future generations. And that generation will teach a future generation. And on and on and on the Gospel goes. And on and on and on the church is built for the glory of God. We do ministry today to rescue future generations from an eternity in hell. Separated from the goodness only knowing the wrath of God. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. That word meaning, let it be. yes. We agree, God. Make it so, Lord. As Paul concludes his prayer in this way, I think we also ask ourselves, is this how we conclude the prayer of our lives? Our consideration about living for God's glory in these coming weeks and months? Do we want that to be so? Do we want it to happen? To live for God's glory in such a way that we don't rely on self. And that we passionately, fervently pursue God's glory. By Even as the church, taking all eyes off of us and pointing them to the glory of God in the face of Christ. Let's let that be our final Amen of 2023, as we look forward in great hope into 2024. Let's pray together. Father, as we contemplate these truths, God, there is so much more fullness to consider from these verses. But God, would You help us to have longings, appetite, desires. Oh God, to live our lives for Your glory. God, to get out of the way. God, so that people see Your worth. Your worthiness. God, I we 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 collectively don't know. God, we don't know what five minutes from now holds, one second from now holds. We certainly don't know what a full calendar of twenty twenty-four holds for us. There will be there will be joys and there will be sorrows. God, in it all. God, in it all, help us to live for Your glory. God, for the advancement of Your kingdom. To make Your glory known among us in the church and to all generations. God, make it so that when people speak the name of faith family, all they know is that faith family loves Jesus, and pursues the glory of God. God, if we'll seek first those things, Your kingdom, You'll add all the other things. You'll take care of the details. So God, bind our hearts to this one fervent pursuit. Whittle away us Me, whittle away, carve away by the sword of Your Spirit unholy, unrighteous longings and desires. God, it's only when You are lifted up, when You are proclaimed, That people are aware of their sin, of their need for a Savior, and they begin to then live their lives for Your glory. God, if that's the very reason why we exist, then help us in this pursuit, O God. Help us to respond accordingly now. Not only as we sing in this moment, but as we go and live our lives moving forward. We love You and we thank You. We ask and pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Church family, would you stand with me as we...